Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Jesse Simonton. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Friday as Tennessee gets ready to take on South Carolina. The million-dollar question, guys, what's te- who's going to be under center? Who's going to be the quarterback for Tennessee? Uh, Brian Maurer spent Wednesday in Nashville uh, having some further exams and uh, evaluations on, on things with his you know, head and neck and concussions and all that stuff. Uh, and then we've seen Jerry Garantano and um, JT Shrout rep equally. And f- in fact, I think you could make a case that Shrout's gotten more reps than Garantano has in the time we've been out on the practice field. So l- let's assume Maurer's out, which I think you know doubtful is how it's been cast by, by Jeremy Pruitt. Assuming he's not playing, what, what's Tennessee going to do? What are they going to do at quarterback? Uh, no, no good answers from where I'm sitting. I mean, you either play a guy who most fans hope they never see under center again, or you play a kid who's you know, barely seen the field and who we have all heard, big arm, big problems managing the game. So I, it's going to be beyond interesting. Uh, you know, I think they've done everything this week to crash course J.D. Shroud in the plan. You know, certainly I mean, seems that way. I mean, they, they're they're he's out repping JG when we go off the practice field. He's out repping him, out repping him when we're on the practice field. Um, you know, they're they're crash coursing this kid much kind of the way they did uh, Brian Mauer a few weeks ago when they made the move from JG to Mauer. Um, you know, is that so? If JG struggles, and they have to go to Shroud. He's more prepared. Is that because Shroud's going to be the guy? I don't know, but I mean, it's pretty clear that. They're they're doing everything they can to make sure if he you know if he is the guy under center he has got as much knowledge as he can possibly have he's had as many reps this week with the number one guys as he's as he can have and uh, you know I mean Broad brings up the game management stuff I mean I do think there are things where you can just totally just vanilla it with him and he can get in out of the place he can hand it off he can take some chunk shots down the field. Which is more along the lines of his uh, bread and butter, and uh, you know, uh, lean heavily, more heavily on on Brandon Kennedy at the or and Trey Smith and Jawan Jennings to help get you in and out of the huddle. I mean, if we're, as we're sitting here, you know, shortly out of of uh, when Tennessee's going to play a huge football game in terms of the importance of the rest of their season, I the, from my vantage point, if Shrout starts, then Jaren, Derek Garantano is going to play. I would be stunned if, if, if J.T. Shrout played a whole football game on Saturday. Conversely, if J.G. starts, I think you're more likely to see a little bit more uh, of that Mississippi State. We talked about it previously on the, on the roundtable. Probably the more the Mississippi State game plan where it's very conservative, it's quick RPOs, and it's kind of get it to the fourth quarter plan. Um, some slobber knocker running game defense and it's kind of you know which team can kind of out punt and outfield position the other uh, I just it, it, with all that we've heard behind the scenes about Shrout even with all the mistakes that we have actually seen with our own eyes from Garantano I'd be surprised I would be surprised if he lasted the whole game and it's an interesting decision because if you start Shrout you know that if things go poorly, you would have to turn to the veteran, and yet that's when the fans are going to start booing when you put Garantano in the game, or do you just start Garantano and get the booing out to begin with and then kind of go from there? Well, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, that part's going to be there w- whenever, okay? So you don't – I don't – obviously the coaches are not worried about the booing a- as to, out element of it. Look, here's, here's Jim Chaney. He looks on tape. He's got a couple of shots dialed up Saturday night. 
and Tuscaloosa that are that are that are winning plays that Jared doesn't hit. Okay, we talked about it. He's got a double move with Juwan Jennings. Should have been a touchdown. Wasn't there. He had the rail route that was going to be a big play. Wasn't there. So he's watching Shrout and thinks Shrout can make those plays. But then where's Shrout in terms of being able to manage the clock, game manage, get you in and out of a run game situation that you need to get in and out of, all those things. What's an easier fix for Jim Chaney? Dumbing the offense down to the point that JT Shrout is can manage it or getting some kind of confidence going in Jerry Garantano who did who did get you home in the second half against Mississippi State but lost all of that that he gained by what happened in Tuscaloosa with the fourth and goal play what's the easier fix for Jim Chaney well I mean I, I mean it, it is to me, it's pretty simple. It's, it's Garantano is going to can actually run the offense. Now, that's not to say he's not going to make you know boneheaded, self-inflicted plays. But they're not worried about delay of games and basic operation with two back there, which is apparently a significant concern if Shrout has to play. Right, AP? It is. I mean, it's something that, you know I was told this week. I mean, it's something they struggle with every week in practice. It's dating back to you know back the spring when he started to get meaningful actual reps. And he just struggles to get in and out of the huddles. Uh, there's delay games in practice. There was a delay game Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. They just, you can't be playing first and 15. Or if you pick up eight yards on first down, you can't be playing second and seven instead of second and two uh, because you can't get out of the huddle on the next play. And this didn't even discounting the fact that he that Shroud has the propensity to throw I mean, all the other teams. Let's face it. I, I understand the magnitude of the one play. But if you take away the quarterback sneak, let's say Tennessee just gets stuffed there on fourth down, and you know they end up losing twenty-eight to thirteen, is the venom towards Jarrett what it is? You know, it's, it's really that one place what's got you know the you know it went from really bad to much worse. So I mean, I agree with Jesse as far as. Being able to get them home, manage, and, and all that stuff. I mean, the I mean, easier it's a, it's fix a whole is. Nose deal. I'm not saying this is no, a great. I, it's just, I'm, now, not, I'm, I'm not, not advocating. And I'm not disagreeing with either yeah. one of you. I'm asking a question. If you're the guy and sitting in a room making $1.5 million and you're coming up with a game plan, is it an easier game plan to come up with to where you say, hey, Brandon Kennedy, you handle protection stuff up front. Tim Jordan, you help with protection stuff because you've seen it, you've been a veteran. And let's go play with a guy who's got an arm that's going to have a chance to complete some hole shots. Or let me spend the week trying to recover from the disaster of of Jared going on his own, okay, and and trying to get my confidence back in him to put a game plan together around him. I'm asking which one is easier for Jim Chaney. I don't know that there's an answer to it. I'm just asking it out loud. I mean, as bad as – I mean, I'm with Jesse. I mean, as bad as fans – don't want to hear it. I mean, I think Jarrett is, gives you the best chance to win an SEC football game right now, and that, and I'm and I'm not saying that's a solution that anybody's going to like. But the with the way we've seen and heard about practice reps being divvied up, my thought is they're getting Shroud as ready as possible so that if Guarantano does go in and you know has pick throws a pick early, yeah, or just blunders and you know looks looks terrible, then then they have an option. I mean, it's not like they're sticking Shroud in there. Without having, yeah, because the last thing you want to do, I mean, I agree with Jesse from the standpoint of, I mean, like if Shroud comes out, you know, throws a pick early, you know, is like one of eight, 
you know, and you've got to turn to JG. I mean, all of a sudden he's become the the quarterback version of Ryan Johnson, the, the guy that the coaches don't really want to play, but you know they keep having to turn to. I mean, that's that's just kind of the truth. I mean, I I think it's easier to start JG and go to twelve than it is to start twelve and go to yeah, two. Yeah, I, I agree. But, with that. but what if you start twelve and he is bad to the point that fans are like. Okay, we get it because you got some fans who go, "Well, we heard all preseason about no, it. I, JG that, that, was the best one." Don't Brian Mauer's not ready. He's a loose cannon, and he's all this. And then all of a sudden, they put Brian Mauer in the game, and everybody goes, "Wait a minute, what the crap was everybody talking about in August?" This guy throws it on time. He gets it in the guy's hands. He's accurate with the football. He's not perfect by any means. He threw two red zone picks against Mississippi State, but he's got him moving in the right direction. So, what did? You know, what did everybody miss about Brian Maurer? So if they missed it about Brian Maurer in August, what, who's to say they're not missing it about J.T. Shrout right now? Well, yeah, I mean, he, 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 his first throw at Alabama, you know, showed his just raw yeah. arm strength. That was he, a heck he, of a defensive he, player. Yeah, it's he a went big back there and uncorked it and just, you know, <laughs> threw the pill, and it was a 40-yard, and, you know, it almost was a completion. Uh, and then he had took a delay a game the next, the very next play. And so it's it, – it, I get what you're saying. I mean, and the staff would, you know what, the staff would gladly take those questions <laughs> if 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 Shrout goes out there and lights lights up Will Muschamp's defense, even though he's the third string quarterback, they would gladly. I'm going to circle back. You know, I had the the piece Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, you know, just about ultimately to me, this is going to come down to Tennessee's offensive line, the run game, anyways. And and I think regardless of who they put back there, the fact that that's a group that is starting to gain some confidence, that has some cohesiveness. They played, you know, for the first time all season, the same five played every snap together. There wasn't this rotation. Um, now maybe we see some Jameer Johnson at left tackle where he's worked this week as just maybe kind of a, a sub, you know, to give a guy a break or two. But I think they're going to roll with that five. They clearly think that Tim Jordan, who's now taking number one reps in practice as well as taking, you know, whatever, 65% of the snaps uh, against Alabama, that's kind of their horse, and I think they're going to ride with those guys, and I think Pruitt's going to challenge them and say, hey, this is a game we need to win, and y'all have to lead the way. No, I don't disagree with it. And, and look, uh, of, all the team, of all the groups out there right now, Rob, I think they have the most confidence of, of anybody in terms of growing confidence. The defensive line's gotten better, no question. We know the wide receivers believe themselves. But when you think about where the offensive line was a year ago, when you think about where they were against Georgia State, you know, and early in the year, that group's got to have more confidence than they've ever had right now and, and probably relish the challenge from their head coach. They certainly did in the second half against Mississippi State. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the, to me, the, you know, the best thing this – team has done this year was the, the offensive line on that last drive against Mississippi State going 91 yards after it had been cut to a three-point game and then you look there was a, that that late drive before Garantano's gaff on, on Saturday that was a that was a big time drive I and mean, that wasn't you know pieced together by a couple big plays I mean they moved the football consistently in the fourth quarter on the road against the number one team in the country I and mean, I based off what they've done the last two weeks I think those it's been years since we've seen offensive line play. I mean, and it's not great. I'm not saying they're the best the SEC, but you can you can see them. I mean, really see them getting better. Is this challenge for the offensive line bigger though? I mean, Mississippi State came in giving up 190 yards on a game on the ground, something to that effect when they came into the game defensively. This Alabama defense is young, playing some freshmen. Is is South Carolina better 
in the front defensively than what Tennessee's played the last couple of weeks? They're not better than Georgia, but are they better than what Tennessee's faced against Mississippi State and Alabama? Yeah, so they're giving up like 140 a game, but they're only giving up 399 or 3.9 yards per carry. And so, I mean, Ken Law's a first rounder. Uh, Wonham has given Tennessee fits the last couple of years, and he's more of an edge guy. They have good linebackers. Uh, they're going, and the thing is, is that Tennessee and whoever plays at quarterback, they're going to have to beat press man because that's what Will's going to play. I mean, they're going to be up in your face with the safeties in the box. So this is going to be a challenge uh, for for this Tennessee offensive line again to kind of prove themselves. You know, I, I I'm at the point now where it, it's kind of enough with the moral victories. You know, the one play was really good. The the drive against Mississippi State was a confidence builder that they clearly used to kind of spearhead the effort in the Alabama game. Uh, but now they're at a point where Tennessee needs them to play for 60 minutes. So you're not going to have 91-yard drives every, you know, every, every drive, but they need them to give kind of a 60-minute effort and, and go out and win them a football game, you know, playing complimentary football with, with, the, with the defense. Well, I mean, there are no more moral victories for the year. I mean, everybody else is. Uh, well, that's why I said yeah. that. I wrote. I mean, the cup is runneth, is runneth over. I mean, it's it's time to start winning games. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no, nothing about there's no victory that's moral for these <laughs> for these next well, five I mean, games. Look, I mean, these, games are, supposed, these games are supposed to have a chance in. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a legitimate chance in all of them for sure. Um, do we see Juwan Jennings at quarterback? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you've seen him the last couple of weeks, and you know, in these. You know whether it be a trick play that that you know Mississippi State snuffed out pretty well, or or you know running the wildcat down there to the goal line. Yeah, I think you see him some there. I mean, I don't know if you see him ten plays, but I mean, you know, do you see him three or four? I think so. I think I'd see it. I'd put him back there eight to ten plays. I wouldn't call it quarterback. I mean, I think you'll see him in the wildcat. But well, I mean, will they have a pass play in? I could certainly see that. But to if I'm, I mean. I can't imagine Jim Chaney's got a lot of confidence in Guarantano, so if I could limit his snaps and feel like, you know, if, if Jawan could give you something out of that package, I, I would use it pretty liberally. Hell, you could see as many as four guys play quarterback. If we think both 12 and 2 might play, if 15, I mean, it was Tim Jordan that was going to take the goal line snap on one of those. Uh, right. Well, he, did. he took yeah. one on the second down play. Yeah, took one on the second down. So, I mean, I, I would not be surprised if Tim Jordan got, you know, a, a, which is that's a very traditional Wildcat type play. Jawan being back there obviously presents a little more challenge for the defense because he does have some quarterbacking uh, in his background. But I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't know about 10 plays only because. Again, it's, it's this, dicey. This may, you gotta, be, this may be a low snap game. Yeah, you may, this may be a low snap game, and this may be obviously you, it's a game you really need to win. But how much pounding can Juwan is as healthy as he's been? How much pounding can he take running? You know, ten plays like that in terms of the repercussions of what that would mean uh, for Kentucky and Vanderbilt and some of these other games you got to win. And you also might have rain, which is always a challenge because you got a you know potentially a freshman quarterback who's probably not played a redshirt freshman who's probably not played a lot of rain games in his life you know and then you've got trying to give the ball to a receiver you know playing out of the wildcat or playing there who you know I'm saying that that's not it's another that, element that's an element to the game and remember South Carolina played in a monsoon a week ago so and they've got a little more confidence in the rain another element of who they decide to go with at quarterback i mean if we th- if we believe this is going to be a run heavy deal Tennessee's been running a lot of that stretch play under center some of that power with Pope back there. Shroud hadn't taken a snap under center before, you know, he got to Tennessee. How is he comfortable with doing that, you know, 30 times? Or is that another reason that they may go 
to two because they believe that he can at least not mess up a snap. Going to be fascinating to see how Jim Chaney manages this game. I think that's the bottom line. We can sit here and speculate for another 30 minutes on the podcast about what do they do this or that. It's going to be really interesting to see who they play and what the schematic plan gonna, is for, gonna, for that play. Going to earn his money this week. I think so. That, no question about that. And I think Jim's had. I think his last two weeks have been his best two weeks. I, I really do. I, I thought his plan, once they got the lead against Mississippi State, I thought he managed the clock, managed the game pretty well in terms of his play calling. I thought he dialed up some nice stuff against Alabama. It didn't always work, but I thought he had enough wrinkles to give yourself a chance to be in that game against Alabama. I thought he certainly saw some weaknesses that he attacked. But I thought he his last two weeks was more to his offense's capability as opposed to this is my offense and this is what we're going to do. You guys have to do what I do. It's been much more. He's been let's malleable. Let's do what you can do. Yeah, he, and he's been malleable. Yeah. Each week he's kind of you know tweaked it to to what kind of suited both the situation, his personnel, success rate. I mean, it's been he kind of has proven to that, that malleability and that versatility that he came in. Uh, you know that everyone was talking about this spring. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. You got Ryan Helensky, who's a little bit beat up, banged up. Will Muschamp's talked about how they've got to get more explosive in the passing game. It's been much too pedestrian throwing the football, running the football. They've been pretty effective. What's Tennessee's biggest challenge in this game in terms of South Carolina's offense, which has not exactly been explosive at times, but it has been certainly salty. Yeah, no, and, and Tennessee's catching a break with Dowdle being out. You know, Muschamp kind of did end up confirming that Wednesday night uh, that Rico will not play. But they do have Feaster, the former Clemson tailback. He's averaging, I think, over six yards a carry, uh, and he's big. I mean, he, he, he talk about pushing the pile forward. He moves forward, so they're going to have to both stop him. And then the thing that Holinsky has been most successful at is not all that different than Brian Maurer. He's been good at those quick RPOs. Uh, and so it's going to be on those inside linebackers and safeties, you know, covering those RPOs, not biting down the fakes and making some plays because South Carolina is not throwing the ball vertically at all right now. And you'll see, I think you'll see another reason to see more of it is because you got Quavaris Crouch in there who's, you know, practiced at inside linebacker for all, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks now? Well, and you'll have Batuli and Henry T if they're both healthy. But, but look, the, regardless of who's been in the middle at, at inside linebacker for Tennessee, it's been a great divide in the middle of the football field. I mean, Batuli's been as bad in terms of biting on run fakes as, as Henry T or Crouch has, to, in, in all honesty. So I think until Tennessee proves they can stop that, everybody's going to continue to try to exploit that there. On the positive side for Tennessee, Austin, on the defensive front, you've been talking about for a couple of weeks, we've all talked about for a couple of weeks, getting more than just a pulse out of Greg Emerson and Darrell Middleton and Matthew Butler. I mean, getting some, so, some productive play. Is it, is it all SEC caliber? No. Oh, but, it's more but, than serviceable. But, they're, but they're, re, they're, they're resetting the line of scrimmage more than they have been. Look, Middleton, to open the second half against Alabama, destroyed that, that offensive series. So starting to find it a little bit, the question is how much do they continue to grow as they move forward here, particularly this week, because it's going to be on them to stop this run game. Well, and it, it's good to see for Darrell because, I mean, you know, you, you wanted to have some type of impact out of the JUCOs that you signed, and Savion Williams has not played the last few weeks and, you know, doesn't look, like a real, doesn't look like a real factor. So, um, you know, Darrell's giving you something. You know, I think Emerson's been my pleasant surprise of the whole season along the defensive line. Aubrey, uh, you know, it shows flashes, you know, needs to be more consistent. Um, you know, just 
uh, Matthew Butler the last couple of weeks has you know been more prevalent than he was the first half of the year so yeah it, it credit Tracy Rocker I mean this is a group that you know I had them dead and buried and you know they've come back you know with you know some really solid play I mean I thought it was I mean Alabama came into that game mm -hmm. last week they'd given up seven sacks in, in six games on the year I mean best offensive line outside of maybe Georgia in the SEC and what which puts you in the conversation for the best in country Tennessee got two sacks I mean they, like AP said I thought they they changed a lot of scrimmage that um, it was tackled for loss just didn't get steamrolled I'm, I mean they're they're just so much more dynamic there right now than they were at the start of the season with and with a guy and with a group that outside of Batuli and Daryl Taylor you couldn't point at anybody and you know feel like you knew what you're going to get no, no question about that. They've really, since that open date, have started to, to come on. This whole team has started to come on. And, and now that, as Jesse said, the proof is, is it's time to show it on Saturday, as Jeremy Pruitt alluded to on Vol Calls a couple of weeks ago. It's great to have good practices. It's great to have good energy. At some point, it's got to show on Saturday. It showed against Mississippi State. The question is, will it show against South Carolina Saturday afternoon? Be interesting to watch this game. Lots of lots of storylines, lots of dynamics, lots of uncertainties for both teams as we move into this game on Saturday. Let's flip it to recruiting. It's been a pretty crazy um, in the middle to end of the week here. Austin, you felt like Tennessee and Jesse as well is in great shape with the Whitehaven trio. I don't think any of us thought it was coming when it came, but Tennessee lands three four-star commitments. Couple guys they weren't real high on at one point in the summer. Kind of circled back to after seeing some senior tape on them. What do you make of the trio, the trio, the trio? Excuse me, that Tennessee got out of Memphis. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tennessee coaches weren't, you know, That's expecting it to come on on Tuesday night. Uh, you know, and then when they got the first one, they didn't expect the second one. Then I think once they got the second one, the third one was kind of a, a no brainer. Um, hey, was in the barn. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, hey. Uh, I credit David Johnson, man. He's the guy that deserves all the credit on this deal. You know, I mean, he, he when when the staff really wasn't sure about French and McDonald, you know, they hadn't ever even offered McDonald until three or four weeks ago. And, you know, Jeremy, when Jeremy watched him play and offered him that night over there at Whitehaven, um, you know, David Johnson had stayed on all those kids. He had continued to call French. He would called McDonald. I mean, he worked at McDonald even though McDonald had no offer from Tennessee. And... Uh, I think that just resonated, you know. I think it resonated with all those kids, you know, what, you know, how David, you know, treated them even when, you know, Tessie wasn't pushing that hard for the other two. And, you know, because they all wanted to play together, there was at one point, you know, Eason wasn't even coming here. Um, so, I mean, like, he continued to work all those guys and, and did a really nice job, um, you know. And I think it's a nice gift for Tennessee because I think all those guys can help Tennessee. Maybe not right away. I mean, I think, you know, Maybe one of them can come in and play right away as a true freshman. But I mean, like there are guys that you know you want to build with. You know, you know that can be like Greg Emerson and be a redshirt freshman and all of a sudden burst onto the scene because they've had a year in the weight room. You know, that's what you need is those. You you can't keep relying on true freshman, true freshman, true freshman. You need to be able to take some of these guys, stash them, and and let them build in the weight room, build on the practice field. And these are the kind of guys that I think that can do that. Well, and you also, Jesse, can't keep relying on going out and signing four or five, quote, five-star impact immediate guys. I mean, it's great that they got Henry T, but the reality is you're not going to line up and sign a class full of those guys. And they probably have tried to recruit. They probably focused too much on some of those guys their first couple of years as opposed to building some foundation guys. But you've got a young football team who's playing a lot of youth. Maybe you can 
get some development guys underneath you, you know, and start to go that way. But you, at some point in time, you got to, you can't just say, okay, we're going to go get the top twenty-five players in the country. Yeah, well, and that's that. That kind of circles back to this game in, in, in kind of a nutshell. That this is before you can really focus on the Alabamas and Georgias and those teams. You got to beat the South Carolinas, and right. that, that that includes on the recruiting trail and going up for these kind of guys. And I know, I know, South Carolina wasn't particularly involved with the Whitehaven kids. But it's beating those type of teams, those type of programs. Mississippi State, for the, Arkansas, exactly. the, those guys. Not you just gotta, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. Yeah, you got to leapfrog those first in, in both the recruiting standings and obviously on the field before you can really you know, land as many of these five and, and you know, five stars that you're going for. So Tennessee lands a guy like Bryson Eason. That's who, a guy they who, like for who months. Who Florida really liked a yeah. lot. Yeah, and that's a guy. And, and, and Eason and is absolutely the crown jewel of this And group. Tennessee liked him going back into the summer. I mean, it's yes. not like – I mean, have, of the three, he was the one they liked the most right. for the longest period of time. Right, and there was the holdup there with Eason of – do you like my friends? Because I do want to play with my friends. And and all you know, both Eason and McDonald made no secret on Tuesday night that you know how ecstatic they are that they're getting to play together. That this is something that had you know they they they've been playing since they were in seventh grade or sixth grade together. Yeah. So Bellevue. then the fact that so the fact that Tennessee then reevaluates the way it sees McDonald a month ago, I think that obviously shows some some changing in the board. Uh, you know, with the way they started. They, they obviously think that French is a guy who can give them some stuff off the edge, maybe as a, a guy that can play both with his hand in the dirt and stand up. Um, and you got three quality players from an area that you're trying to plant a flag in. And I think that's, that can't be discounted, that this staff, unlike the previous regime, has kind of made Memphis a priority. It's hard to go into Memphis and get three, four stars in general in a cycle, much less three from the same team, much less three that have connections to Amari Thomas, who's going to be here this weekend, three who know Chris Morris. You know, I mean, and, and so those connections and I think the reverberations that they could have on further classes, 21, 22, I think that's what Tennessee's also banking and on at here. A, at a high school that's been historic, you know, recently one of the best in the state, I mean, there's probably won't be the last three yeah, prospects to come out of White. Yeah, twenty twenty-two uh, offensive tackle that Tennessee's offered out of there, and you're getting winners too, and that's a big thing. You know, Jeremy loves. He's done that. He did that with the, with the nineteen class. Uh, there's several from the twenty twenty class, but now these guys might even be as much as any. I mean, these Eason helped them win a state title as a freshman. These other two guys, and, and they've played, and routinely been in the semis or the state championship. Yeah, game. these guys, they, they, had, they, they are used to winning, and I think you build enough guys on your football team in college, and that's how you kind of change that culture that so many people talk about. Yeah, two things for me that that, that are a change. One, the reevaluation three or four games in. Is, is something that I think Tennessee's doing a better job of now than maybe they were their first class or two when they're catching up. And B goes back to what Austin was saying. David Johnson keeping guys warm. They didn't do that with in-state kids their first couple of years here. And, and I think you got to give David Johnson a ton of credit for y that. Yes, and I think more than anything, it's just him growing as a coach. Because really this is his first Power 5 stop. So last year was his first year at the Power 5 level understand how to recruit. He was given Memphis. Why? Because he came from the University of Memphis. It's not like he had some an abundance of ties in the Memphis area. He's built those ties over the last year and which has allowed him to I think evolve as a recruiter and just you know understand big picture stuff maybe more so than he did a year ago. He's just good with kids though. That, that, that's what it boils down to. Alright, so what does it mean, and I don't, I'm not knocking on any of the three, we've talked about what they can mean to this program. What does their commitment mean to, to Big O, to Amari Thomas? 
I think it helps. Now, it's AP, a feather, has been, but that's it, yeah, it. AP has been all over this, and we have, and we had it in the war room. I mean, I think a huge part about Omari Thomas right now is just, again, it may, it, it may be in-state, but distance is a factor. And, and the fact that it's a short drive for his parents, who both still have jobs, um, you know, one working late-night shifts, it's just it's going to be tougher, tougher excuse me, for them to come to football games at Tennessee than it is to go to Ole Miss. And I think that potentially could be on the holdup because Jeremy Pruitt has made a strong connection with that family, and Amari really likes Knoxville. And so I'm not at all suggesting that Tennessee can't beat out Ole Miss. I think that right now is probably the lone holdup. But the good news for Tennessee is they got this kid back on campus twice in a month now, and they're in a good spot, and he's not going to make a decision anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, at least that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. You know, it could change. Much um, like the Whitehaven boys who were going to wait till the state championship game and then popped on Tuesday. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it's a feather, and I think that's all that it is. Okay. You know, I mean, I think it helps. It's definitely a bonus. It's a plus. But it's not the end all. But yeah, I don't think when it's when 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 it gets, you know, when when the rubber meets the road. I don't think, you know, because Bryce and Eason and, and the boys went to Tennessee, he's going to go to Tennessee. I think if it's apples to apples, oh, that's a nice bonus. You know, I do have buddies up there. Let's gotcha. go there. Okay. Uh, quickly on visits this weekend, Big O's going to be in town. Jay, Jay Hardy's going to be in town. That's a big That's a big one because he's taking that official right now. I think he's getting close. Would not surprise me at all. Auburn you know. thing not as big of a, a deal? Uh, Auburn in Florida, I, I just think that he, I think he's known for a long time he wants to go to Tennessee. Um, I think that's why the, 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 the because he was going to wait to take his official to, you know, late November, early December, and it's pushed up to this weekend. I think there's a reason for that. Team's playing better. Three guys jump in the boat on Tuesday night. Couple commits so, coming back so, into town important too, I think. Okay. Uh, James Robinson getting him back up here. Art Green's on an yeah. official visit. First time he's been back since he committed. And then the, the, the one to watch will be does Keyshawn show up? Keyshawn yeah, I mean, won. Keyshawn's been so pro Tennessee uh, this week through Tuesday night with all the Whitehaven kids, even into Wednesday's Springer announcement. I mean, he's he's been very proactive about Tennessee on Twitter. Um, and which backs up everything I've been told that Oklahoma was just a fun trip and that was all. But you got all this momentum, you got to deliver on the field on Saturday. Yeah. That's why this game is important. This is the last big recruiting weekend of the season, really. Right. I mean, I know UAB's a night game, Vandy, whatever. That's. But this, this is, is this is this is right. going to be like kind of the crescendo of, of because you're getting Jay Hardy and Amari Thomas. Those are two of your biggest guys. I, I would not be surprised, obviously, if Barron's back in town. Um, you mean stays in town? Stays in town. Well, if he if he's not going somewhere else this weekend, I don't think he's going up to Kentucky. So, but big opportunity, yeah. opportunity on the field, opportunity in recruiting this weekend for sure. All right, as we wrap it up here, let's jump to basketball. Rob, the worst kept secret is no longer a secret. Jaden Springer in the boat. How big of a deal is this one? I mean, it's huge. It's I mean, the. I mean, going back, I think you have to go back to probably Allen Houston to get a guy to Tennessee that was ready to sign. And he slipped just a little bit. He was 12. I think he's down to 15. But I feel like that's probably more of a reflection of him not playing all summer long because he had a broken foot. But uh, it, it's enormous. I mean, Tennessee's right now the fourth, fourth highest rated class in our rivals' rankings. Ahead of them, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina. I mean, anytime you can say that sentence about anything to do with college basketball, you're, you're doing some, some things right. And he's, a, he's an electric talent. And as I wrote, one of the best things about it, the three guys that Tennessee has committed, they really mesh well together as for, on the court. I mean, Corey Walker is a little bit of an inside-outside guy. I think he'll start out at power forward, but 
You know, he's a guy that can stretch it out. Keon Johnson is just an elite wing on both ends of the floor. And uh, Springer can handle the ball. He can play off the ball. He can, I mean, he is a big time, big time scorer. And all, all three of these kids are, I mean, they're Rick Barnes kids. I mean, they, they play hard. They're, they come from you know, good families. They're hardworking. And they're fits all the way around. It's a home run. Unlike anything we've seen, um, for, for sure, why has this all fallen into play? I mean, is this simply because they won last year, the last couple of years? Is this a product of just the basketball culture of creating relationships over multiple years in recruiting? Why has this fallen into place I mean, the way it has I think, with this class? I think, the, I mean, it doesn't happen if they're not winning. I mean, they're 15 and 16. They're not getting it. But, I mean, that's that's a big part of it. But, and uh, I think you touched on one of the other parts of it is that um, the relationships. I mean, Tennessee offered Jaden Springer when he was a freshman. They offered Josiah James when he was a freshman. They were the first team to offer Keon Johnson a scholarship in the fall of his sophomore year. I mean, these aren't guys where Tennessee – Not on them late? Yeah. I mean, it's not like they – you know, Rick Barnes went out and saw some kid he f- and fell in love with him in July in the evaluation period and, you know, offered – you know, called him on the phone a few times and got him on campus for an official visit. I mean, they had built relationships with these families. And I think the – I mean, all these kids made multiple unofficial visits to Tennessee. And the more a certain type of kid and family are – I mean, are, are around this program, I mean, it really – what Rick is going on, what is going on here, it appeals to – to a certain kind of person. I mean, it's not for everybody. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not a lot of fun. I mean, you've seen practice. I mean, it's not a lot of fun, but it's, um, but the feeling around, I mean, like Jaden Springer told me, I mean, you know, kids say family atmosphere all the time, but I mean, that's, I mean, that, that is a big part of it. And don't discount player development. I think the NBA draft this year was one of the biggest selling points that this staff has is, you know, you take a kid that you beat out Yale for and turn him into a two-time SEC player of the year and, and then, you know, a, First round NBA draft pick. That's that's a selling point. I mean, yeah. and that same for Admiral, same for Jordan Bone, and that there's a lot of reasons why it's rolling like this right now. But I mean, just the biggest one I, I think is Rick, the culture he's built here, and the way that the assist. I mean, this staff is, I mean, does a great job of rolling up their sleeves and getting to work and really, really building relationships with, with these guys. What's the one area Springer's going to have to work on? I mean, you said elite score. Is it the jump shot? Is it defense? I, th- I mean, defense? he's like just about any high school kid. I think he's got to – I mean, to really be like a top 10 NBA draft pick, which he's got the potential to be, he's probably going to have to shoot it a little better. Because right now he just – I mean, he's so strong. He's 6'6", 205, 210, and just – I mean, kids just bounce off of him. I mean, he can get into the lane. He can, you know, take contact and still get to the rim. And, uh, you know, that's – that will stop being the case as, as, guy, as other guys. You know, he plays against great competition right now, but he's just so f- more physically developed th- than a lot of guys. And that's another thing I, li- I really like about Springer. Playing at IMG Academy, got there as a junior, he's used to playing with great players. He's not somebody that, you know, you're going to have to. Where he's, where he's going to shoot it 25 yeah, times a game. he's used to playing with, I mean, like, he, he's been there two years. He's probably going to have played with eight, ten NBA first-round draft picks by the time he, he gets to college. And fans will get a chance to see them play in January. That's uh, in November. Is, uh, when, when is that? When's that? January twenty fifth. Oh, okay. January twenty fifth. They're coming to Knoxville to play, play Catholic. Going to play Catholic. Who has a, a young guy? We'll read about him in the world. Bj. I mean, Bj Edwards. A lot of people already know about him. Sophomore. I wouldn't be surprised. He's got to, offers from Auburn, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him have one from Tennessee here in the very near future. Yeah, Bj's a stud. Now he's a smart kid. You know, plays good defense. I mean, he plays for a defensive-minded head coach over at Catholic, and Mike Hutchins. And so, I mean, Bj's originally from the Tri Cities. 
moved down here to play at Catholic and uh, plays alongside those uh, the big seven footer you know, that's also the two a Nigerian kids who are you know really freakishly athletic. But BJ to me is the bell cow of that team just because he can shoot it from the outside, he plays defense, and he handles the ball from the point guard spot. Interesting. And there'll be another couple. Uh, Brandon Huntley was originally from Clarksville, who's at IMG. Is a he's currently a sophomore. He could reclassify. That's 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 a guy that's going to be a, a big time Tennessee target as well. Wow, several guys in town for that game. Obviously highlighted by the fact that fans will get to see Springer. Fans will get to see this Tennessee basketball team in its current state um, next Wednesday night as they open up exhibition play. Is that not right? Next Wednesday night, the night before Halloween, against next, Eastern next New Mexico. Eastern New Mexico. Rob, as we wrap it out, run out the door. How healthy is this team? I know that's been written. Yeah, it's. I mean, getting there. Josiah did not go this weekend in the scrimmage, or, or last weekend in the scrimmage. I did not practice as of uh, Wednesday. Um, it's not, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think people are freaking out about it, but, you know, he needs to he needs to practice. If he's going to be effective early in the season, I mean, he, he needs to get on the floor. Uh, Devontae Gaines broke his thumb a while back. He's, I think he's pretty close to being to being out, and he's got, I think, has, has a real chance of being in the rotation. So those, those are the big concerns right now. All right, so we get a chance to see this team next Wednesday, but first, it's seeing this football team and who plays quarterback, what's this offense look like, and how does this game shake out, and a big matchup and a big opportunity for Tennessee on and off the field this weekend. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.